Good morning. Um, thank you, Gail, for the introduction. And Tasha, I don't think, is here, but she invited me to speak today. And it's, um, it was a, kind of a thrilling opportunity for me. I don't get the opportunity to speak publicly much, so I'm excited to be here and um, thank all of you, Montana Bible College, for, for having me this morning. Um, I'd like to just open up in a quick prayer. Father, I thank you for um, my testimony, the life you've given me, the lessons I've learned, and I pray that this morning um, that I could, as I share it, that you would be honored and that all the glory would go to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Tasha invited me, I, I was initially a little concerned about filling 25 or 30 minutes of time, but um, I quickly realized that when you're talking about yourself, it's the opposite. You, you've got to figure out how to condense your life into 25 or 30 minutes. So, um, so I'll just get right into it. Um, as Gail already said, my family recently moved to Montana from Portland, Oregon, uh, which is where I'm from. My wife, Sarah, is from Bozeman here. And um, she moved to Oregon, though, to attend university and, and never came home. Um, after our second son was born, Finley, he's uh, just turned one, we moved back here to Bozeman to be closer to the Boss family, and, and Jan's actually here right now, too. So yeah, that's why we moved back here, to be closer to family. Um, and it sounds like some of you already know the bosses, so that's, it's uh, neat to be a part of their family. We're excited to be living here in Bozeman. As for me, I went to school in Oregon, but shortly after graduating from Oregon State University with a construction engineering degree, I moved to Seattle, um, both to find work and to be closer to some of the friends, some friends I had who lived up there. I found a good job, I bought a condo, you know, I was kind of, I was doing well, enjoying life. Um, but at some point in 2007, roughly, I, I, after a phone call with my mother, um, I received a package from her that contained a book. And um, I, apparently something about our conversation concerned her, and she felt, she felt the need to send me this book thinking it might help me out. The book was called um, Third Culture Kids Growing Up Among Worlds by David Pollock and Ruth Van Recken. So what is a third culture kid or a TCK? Pollock and Van Recken describe a TCK as a person who has spent a significant portion of his or her developmental years outside their parents' culture. The TCK builds relationships to all of the cultures while not having a full ownership of any of them. Although elements from each culture are assimilated into the TCK's life experience, the sense of belonging is in relationship to others of a similar background. So, so a TCK's culture is not like their parents or the host culture. It's kind of a hybrid of the two. And I am a TCK. I'm a third culture kid. Some general characteristics of a TCK 
a lot of missionary kids would be considered TCKs, military brats, you know, a lot of businesses international now, so there's a lot of expatriates living outside the United States with kids. Those would all be considered third culture kids. Some of the characteristics in general to a TCK are um, expanded worldviews, interpersonal sensitivity, cultural intelligence, highly independent, more able to adjust to change. Some of the challenges in general that they faced are confused loyalties, ignorance of home culture, difficulty adjusting to adult life, and dif uh, difficulty with commitment and decision making and feelings of rootlessness. Um, today I just want to focus on, well in the interest of time, I, I'm going to just focus on the three that, that I relate to. And those are cultural intelligence, independence, and uh, difficulty with commitment and decision making. So characteristic number one is cultural intelligence, and I, I actually prefer the term cultural chameleon, it's kind of fun. Um, a cultural chameleon is described as one who's able to effortlessly make sense and adapt to a new social cultural environment. So basically what that means is um, we're able to blend in well, easily, with different cultures. And I'll give you a little bit of my background. My family moved to Japan in 1985. Uh, my dad was a teacher with the Department of Defense Dependent Schools on the military bases. Uh, we live near Tokyo. Um, we lived in Japan for four years before we relocated to Schweinfurt, Germany on another military base. Um, we did a lot of, of fun traveling and sightseeing in Europe, and, and that part of Europe was fun, but, but I remember family life was difficult there. So after those two years, we, we actually relocated back to Japan. This time we, we weren't near Tokyo, we were down south on an island called Okinawa. It's a subtropical island. Some of you may recognize Okinawa from the Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi. He was from Okinawa. Karate Kid 2 was supposed to be set in Okinawa, but it wasn't. It was probably Hawaii or something. Um, so I lived in Okinawa until I graduated from high school, at which point I returned to North America, but, but not to the States. I went to Canada and studied at Trinity Western University for a year and a half. That's in BC. Um, probably most fundamental, though, were those first few years in Japan um, that really kind of set a precedent for my life. For whatever reason, my parents enrolled me at a Japanese school. Um, my two brothers both went to the American school where my dad taught, so I was the lucky uh, guinea pig there, I guess. Um, so attending a foreign school in a foreign language is tough, but probably the hardest part for me was going to school on Saturday mornings while my brothers were sitting around in their underpants eating Cheerios and watching cartoons. If you can imagine, like first and second grade, you know, having to go to school on Saturday while your brothers are watching cartoons, that's a rough life. Nevertheless, I, I, I did quickly learn how to um, blend in with the local Japanese kids and I and, uh, went to school with, and, and really that's how I honed my skills as a cultural chameleon. 
And to kind of give you an example, I'm going to show you a picture that, that clearly demonstrates how well I simulated. <laughs> so, so if you guessed that this is me, the guy over here with these blue socks, you're wrong. I'm actually here in the middle. <laughs> so that was, my, that was my class there. Um, uh, all joking aside, um, being a culture com cultural chameleon doesn't mean you literally blend in. You know, um, Japanese have a, a proverb that says, the nail that sticks out will be hammered down. And um, I stuck out, and I did get hammered down a few times. Uh, Japanese skill, schools at that time still incorporated corporal punishment, and, and I had my fair share of swats in the hallway from the teacher. Um, there's a few other pictures here too that might be kind of fun. So, uh, this school, I didn't, most Japanese schools you have to wear a uniform, but I, I didn't have to wear a uniform, although I did have to wear that yellow hat. And then all the boys wore black backpacks and all the girls wore red backpacks. So that's kind of, that's me. Japanese school. Um, this morning, though, I'd really like to emphasize um, some of the value spirit, valuable spiritual lessons that I learned um, as we as we can, as they relate to the other two characteristics. So, characteristic number two is is independent. Um, I remember from a very early age. Uh, being proud of how independent I was and the freedom my parents allowed me. Attending the Japanese school really developed my sense of independence. Each morning when I left the house, I headed out to school and I entered a world that my family didn't understand and couldn't function in. And I did it alone. I mean, I was, that was, I was on my own. Um, even after I started attending the American school where my dad taught, uh, my parents still relied on my language skills for getting around the countryside and just communicating with locals. Um, and that experience had a big impression on me. Part of living, living overseas for us also was frequent international travel. Um, over the years, my parents would allow me and my brothers to travel alone to visit relatives or attend sports camps or whatever in the U.S. Um, at one point, I flew from Japan to Turkey by myself, but instead of heading west across Asia like you would expect, I, I flew east across the U.S. So I, I flew more than halfway around the world by myself. Um, another experience that really stands out is um, a three-week trek I did in the Alps on my own. Well, I, 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 I met up with a group there, but I flew there on my own, did it on my own um, after my junior year of high school. And that, that was a really fun trip, and, you know, but, but really, again, just kind of establishing this independent spirit. Uh, unfortunately, there's consequences, uh, you know, called spiritual fallout for a life of independence. And um, Webster's Dictionary, one of the definitions they have for independence is, is not requiring or relying on others. And I, I think that pretty much summed it, up, summed it up for me. I didn't require anybody. I was very independent-minded. But what I didn't realize until recently was that my independence was holding me back. Um, 
um, I was not maturing spiritually, even though I had been a Christian, what I thought was a pretty solid Christian for some time. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted Christ as a young boy, you know, but I, I kind of stagnated. I, I stopped growing, especially as a young adult. Um, one of the areas that I was being held back in by my independence was um, with with a difficulty submitting to authority. And, and today I'll just talk about specifically the church authority and ultimately God's authority. Pastor Rick, who was the head pastor at my church back in Portland, was instrumental in helping me kind of understand this issue and work through it. Um, it was there that I, I learned the importance of putting myself under the authority of, of my church. God created institutions of authority to which we are called to submit and place ourselves under. Family, and government, and church are examples of those institutions. And within these institutions, there's a, a rejection of the prescribed authority is a rejection of God's ultimate authority. Um, Ephesians 1.22 established Jesus as the head of the church. And if I refuse my, to put myself under the authority of my local church, then I'm rebelling against the authority of Jesus as the head of the church. Additionally, an independent spirit has no place in the church body. We're called to be interdependent. 1 Corinthians 12.14 reminds us that the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And finally, my, my independence bred an arrogance, and, and I, if I'm completely honest, it was an arrogance that that led to me kind of feeling superior to others. Uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Um, in that passage, Jesus teaches us that one of the greatest commandments is to to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, and I can tell you, it's very difficult to love your neighbor if you think you're better than him. So that that was uh, those are kind of the that sums up my. I guess my lesson that I've learned regarding this independent streak that I had um, and still do, but I'll move on to characteristic number three, which is a difficulty with commitment and decision-making. So I have commitment issues. My wife can tell you all about that sometime. Um, life changed often for me growing up. Some of the experiences that contributed to my commitment issues are living in four different countries. So I was uh, born in the U.S., moved to Japan, Germany, then to Canada. Now I'm back in the U.S. I changed homes too many times to count, except for two occasions. Um, I haven't lived in the same place for more than three years in the same home. Sometimes we move multiple times a year. Um, five different schools during my first through sixth grade years. Similarly, I, I um, attended six different universities. I have six credits from six universities, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, what else? Um, growing up on the military bases and even at university, most of my friendships lasted, well, no more than two years. The military has a rotation cycle that's for overseas deployment that lasts about two years for families. So just about the time you make friends and, and get to know somebody, they move on. There's this constant cycle. Of course, 
My, I, my dad wasn't military. We were civilians, so we stayed there. But everybody else just kind of rotated through. Um, and finally, uh, girlfriends had expiration dates. And that's something I learned when I started dating. Same thing, you know, everybody had a period of time. They were there in Okinawa, and then they'd leave. And you kind of get to know that about, you know, your girlfriend. And, and there, was a, there was a date when the relationship was going to end, and that was that. You know, there was no no possibility of it going further. And so that, that kind of imprinted a pattern, and a behavioral pattern, I guess, in me. Um, again, there was some spiritual fallout that I experienced due to these, uh, due to my commitment issues that I kind of developed, you know, a childhood that's full of broken relationships and friendships and feelings of disappointment that result from those broken friendships. Like I said, it imprints a pattern that's hard to break as, even as an adult. In the past, I felt um, a constant reluctance to be established anywhere and to be a part of something long-term, which included, uh, you know, that included a fear of rejection and disappointment. But one area where this became very apparent to me was, was uh, again, at church. And I was a church hopper. I church hopped constantly. I never stayed at a church long enough to get to know anybody or to be, um, to be known. Um, I never experienced a healthy church community growing up overseas. We moved frequently. Um, we never found a consistent church that had a strong uh, church family. I didn't understand the importance of being a part of the body because I'd never experienced it. Um, as a young adult, I did continue to go to church, but I, I, I wanted to remain unknown. I didn't want people to know me. I wanted to come and go as I pleased without involving others. I didn't want to commit. But again, it was Pastor Rick, my old pastor back in Portland, who his mentorship that helped me grow and understand um, about that, the, the issue and the problems it was causing in my life. Pastor Rick, his position was that in order to shepherd his flock as a pastor, he was speaking as a pastor, in order to shepherd his flock, as he was called to do, he needed to know who they were. He needed to know his flock, and membership allowed him to know who his flock was. And so he emphasized church membership there. Um, the Bible doesn't address church membership directly, but, but there are several passages Several verses verses that support it, and I just want to share those. First Thessalonians five twelve through thirteen teaches us to respect and esteem our church leaders. First Timothy five seventeen teaches us to honor our church leaders, and Hebrews thirteen seventeen teaches us to obey and submit to our church leaders. And through Pastor Rick's mentorship, I learned to value church membership and and actually did become a member of that church for the first time in my life. And we, we, even now, we, we miss that body. It was um, kind of a revolutionary experience for me. Um, the other area where my commitment issues have taken a toll it was in developing meaningful relationships, specifically relationships with a woman. You know, through dating, um, I was terrified of long-term relationships and especially terrified of, of being rejected. Um, 
But that book my mom gave me, I did read the book she sent me in Seattle. And that's kind of what got me started thinking about these, these traits, these character traits I had. And I spent a lot of time thinking about them and how, these, how they impacted my life. Um, through that, God began to work in my heart, and I was convicted to leave Seattle and relocate to Portland, Oregon to be closer to my family. Um, but before I did that, I traveled to Rwanda, Africa, and spent several months there volunteering. And um, it was there that I met my wife. Um, we returned to Portland, and we dated for almost two years, and during that time I, I broke up with her twice because I was scared. Um, I'd never been in, in a serious relationship like that, and it, it scared me. Um, but God, in his wisdom, used our dating relationship to reveal my sin, my immaturity, and my spiritual shortcomings. And, and these were all things that I'd never, um, you know, I was, I, was, I think, 20, 27 or 28 at the time. But I'd, I'd never experienced or, or dealt with these issues because, because of my fear of commitment. I'd never opened myself up to these things before. And so, so Sarah, through, that, through our relationship, you know, kind of these things came to light and, and God really used that time and that relationship to deal with them. One of the things Sarah and I talked about frequently while we were dating was, was that um, was how God was using our relationship to draw each other, to draw each of us closer to Him. And we talked about how, even though our relationship may fail, the process, um, well, we were both thankful that God was, was using that relationship to refine, refine us as individuals. Um, by God's, God's grace, we worked through a lot of issues together. And we were married in 2009, right here in Bozeman, as a matter of fact, at the Boss Farm. Um, but God transformed my fear of commitment into one of my greatest joys. And, and um, i got to say, marriage is so much better than dating. So it's just been a blessing. Um, but to conclude, oh yeah, here's a picture. This is Sarah and I on safari in Rwanda. This is Sarah here, my wife, and that's me, obviously and a mutual friend. But that's, that's when we first met in Africa. Um, to conclude, I, I still struggle with, with um, feelings of, you know, kind of being independent-minded. And it's, it's a constant struggle for me that I have to, you know, um, overcome with God's, through God's grace. Um, also, I still shy away from commitment. It's really hard for me to be parts of groups, to, uh, well, just to commit in general. And, and, um, but I know that there's blessing when I do. Um, and, and what I'm most thankful for is that, is that even though I struggle with these things, they no longer dominate my life. They don't steer my life. God's delivered me from, from that independent spirit that controlled me and that non-committal spirit that just really steered the direction of my life. Um, two things that I attribute this to are, are um, committing to and submitting to the church. That really just seemed to bring 
um, so many levels of my life in line when I finally gave in to that accountability and that submission to that church authority um, when I was no longer disobedient to Christ as head of the church. And, and I, that was a, a fundamental turning point in my life, that submitting to the church. Um, also, getting married uh, was, was a fundamental change for me, too, uh, in, in many ways. But, but just, uh, you know, um, Christ's relationship to the ter- church is, is a, our, our marriage, rather, is a model of Christ's relationship to the church. So, so these things all just kind of lined up together, and, and, um, and it kind of brought things in line. I, I just, just to say there's blessing when we're living in obedience to God's word, and, and this is my testimony to that. Um, and finally, kind of as a silly aside, um, my mother is constantly, she's a school counselor, so she's constantly trying to fix my problems. That was Levi, by the way. <laughs> uh, don't be too quick to dismiss your mom's attempts to fix your life. You know, she, um, sometimes our moms really can help us get through some issues. So um, That's all I have to share this afternoon or this morning. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. Father, we thank you again for our, our testimonies. Each of us has a testimony, Lord, that can um, point to you and bring glory to you. And we pray, I pray that um, we would consider our testimonies and refine them and always be prepared to give an account when, uh, when the time comes. Lord, I thank you for these uh, students who are diligently pursuing your word. And I pray that um, you would bless them as they um, not only finish up here in school, but go out into the world and become scholars and leaders. Lord, I thank you that um, you got the opportunity to share what you've done in my life and pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.